This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And hello, folks, and welcome to Worship with West Concord. We are going to continue this week in the book of Malachi. We chose to study the book of Malachi because Malachi records the condition of the nation of Israel about a century after their captivity with the Babylonians. They had endured tremendous oppression, slavery under that captivity, but they turned to God, God released them, set them free, set them back home, and they got back to life as they knew it. And all was great until they began to get lax. They began to get lazy spiritually. Apathy began to set in, and they began to move away slowly again from God. And it was necessary for God to raise up the prophet Malachi to come and bring him, to bring them rather, a message that he wanted them to hear so that they might come back to God. And so that's what we're doing because we're in captivity in a sense because of the COVID virus. We've been shut in and shut down. And hopefully soon as things begin to recede, we begin to move out and we begin to get back into church again regularly and we get to, we get, to get back into our lives. But the question is, when we go back to normal in the world, will we go back to normal spiritually? And the ideal is not to. And I believe that's the message that God has for us as we come back from captivity. This morning, we're going to look at the third oracle. You know, we said that Malachi is composed of six oracles or burdens that God laid upon the heart of Malachi to bring Israel back into the fold. You know, Malachi is considered by some a rather harsh book, but if you look at it closely as we've looked at it, you'll see that it is a, a book filled with God's grace. As yes, he has to be harsh. Yes, he has to be stern. But in each time, he reaches out his hand of grace to bring his people back to him. Because like us, he loves Israel desperately, and he loves the church desperately, and he wants us to be his ideal people. As we begin this morning, let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be online together again. Father, we thank you for the technologies and the talents that allow us to get your word out into the world. And Father, I pray for each watcher, each listener as we do this this morning, that you would lift the burdens of their life, the things that they're dealing with, Lord, that are difficult. I pray that you'll heal where healing is needed, that you'll provide where provision is needed, that you'll encourage and lift up and rebuild. And that, Father, as we crawl out of this captivity, that you would bless us with safety, with strength, and with the stamina to be the people you want us to be. As we open your word, help us to seek your face, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This third oracle deals with the faithfulness of God's people, and actually the lack of faithfulness of God's people. As they began to move into normalcy, they became complacent, and they began to get unfaithful. We've already seen that they've doubted God's love for them. We've already watched the religious leaders, the spiritual leaders, dishonor God in their actions and activities. And now God is going to not only deal with the religious leaders, He's going to go with the people. He's going to talk with the people about, about their faithfulness and the lack thereof. And as we talk about faithfulness, uh, I want to ask you a question. What are you most faithful to? What are you most faithful to? Well, here's a couple of things. Uh, are you faithful to your sports teams or your, or your favorite school? Or are you faithful to your hobby? You know, nothing wrong with having hobby, nothing wrong with enjoying sports, nothing wrong with cheering on your team or, or focusing on the things that you love to do as leisure. 
But how faithful are you to those things? How about, how about your political party or your political opinion? You know, it seems like in the church today, we have people more faithful to a political party than they are the piety toward God. How about your faithfulness to your own personal opinion? You know, we think a lot of ourselves very often and we hold very highly to our personal opinions. And when somebody challenges us on those opinions, we get a little, get a little upset. So how faithful are you to these things? You know, we're faithful to different things. How about this? What about God and his truth? How faithful are you to God and his truth? And should that faithfulness supersede your faithfulness to these other things? Let's talk about what it means to be faithful as it relates to God. Here's another quote from gotquestions.org. By the way, I highly recommend that website. If you have a question about biblical doctrine, uh, about God, about Christ, about anything, generally they have good answers in that solidly biblical website. Go to it, gotquestions.org. And talking about faithfulness, it says this, to be faithful is to be reliable, steadfast, and unwavering. And the Bible speaks of this kind of faithfulness in four ways. First, as an attribute of God. God is faithful. We know that. We experience that. We trust that. Secondly, as a positive character of some men. Uh, you know, somebody who's faithful, a faithful husband, a faithful father, uh, a faithful mother. You know, you have a faithful co-worker, a faithful supervisor. Uh, a third thing, as a characteristic that, may, that many people or many men lack. You know, we think of somebody who's unfaithful. If you run a business and you hire somebody and they habitually not show up for work, they're demonstrating a lack of faithfulness. Or if somebody is expected to pay a payment on time to a company for something they bought and they miss those payments for whatever reason, there is a certain amount of unfaithfulness there. You know, we see in our marriages unfaithfulness. We see all kinds of ways unfaithfulness is displayed. And then finally, as a gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the gifts that God gives us is faithfulness. He imbues us with that. Faithful is also used in the sense of believing. I am full of faith. I am full of trust. As in the case of Christians in Ephesians, or rather in Ephesus and Colossae, as Paul compliments them on their faithfulness. So faithfulness plays a big role in our walk and in our relationship with God. It is what sets us apart. It is what makes us unique in this world. As the world is faithfulness to those other, faithful rather to those other things I listed, we as God's people are to be faithful with God. And that is the very issue that the people of Malachi's day were dealing with. Even though God had been faithful to them, he had delivered them from the captivity that they were in. He had brought them out and returned them home and set them back up, even aided them in rebuilding their society. God has always been faithful, faithful to his word and faithful to his people. But they displayed an unfaithfulness to God as they began to get lazy, as they began to get complacent. They didn't care about worship. They didn't care about the word of God. They didn't care about giving the best of their lives to him. And so here in the, in the, in the second chapter of Malachi, beginning in verse 10, we have the charge of unfaithfulness. And this is something, again, we're doing this not because I want to beat on the church. There's no reason to do that. We're doing this study in Malachi as preventative medicine 
so that when we crawl out of this captivity, we do not end up as the children of Israel did. So the charge of unfaithfulness, look at verse uh, 10 of chapter 2. He says this, he says, have we not all one father? Speaking of God, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us all. Now, he says one twice. I want you to focus on that word one, and I want you to keep it in the back of your mind, because this entire passage we're going to look at deals with our union and unity with God. Not just with one another, but most importantly, with God. We have one Father, and has God, one God created us. God is a God who prizes unity. He goes on to say, why do we deal treacherously with one another? by profaning the covenant of our fathers. You know, all the way back in Deuteronomy, God made a covenant with the children of Israel, a constitution or a contract, if you will. And basically, Deuteronomy spells out the idea that if the children of Israel were faithful to God, God, in turn, would care for them and protect them and keep them safe and provide for them. But because of the lackadaisicalness and laziness of the children of Israel, over and over again, they broke that covenant. Instead of being unified and in union with God, they separated from Him. Not only from God, but a, a symptom of that was that they began to deal treacherously with one another. They began to break union with the other people of God. And so God charges them with this unfaithfulness. They were unfaithful to one God, and they were unfaithful to their one covenant or contract with God. And so he lays this charge at their feet. And so as we continue, well, I want you to look in verse 11, because now we're going to look at the evidences of this unfaithfulness. And we're going to see, first of all, the first evidence of unfaithfulness. And it is that evidence which is illegal marriage. You say, Pastor, why is God talking about marriage? Because in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, human marriage relationships are a metaphor for our relationship with God. When you and I come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we literally, according to the New Testament, become the bride of Christ. We become married to God, married to God in Christ, and we become His bride. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation tells us that as we as believers live our lives, we are literally, by the things that we do to please and honor Him, we are literally creating our wedding dress, if you will, to, to, to be able to stand before Him one day. We are the bride of Christ. And in the Old Testament, Israel's relationship with God was also... Uh, akin to marriage. Because if you look at the book of Hosea and uh, all the ramifications of that book, we see that God prizes his relationship with Israel as a marriage and chides Israel for committing spiritually, uh, spiritual adultery against him for chasing after and following after other gods. And so marriage is a big deal to God. And when God instituted the first family, Adam and Eve, they were married. They, the two became one flesh. And God wants us to become one with Him as far as our union with Him. He wants us to come into a relationship with Him. He died for us via Jesus Christ on the cross. He was buried and rose again from the dead. And all who enter into a relationship with Him by faith become married to God. We become 
the bride of Christ. So the first evidence of this unfaithfulness was illegal marriage. Let's look at let's get the sin first. Look at verse 11. He says this, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. So this is serious. Something has gone wrong. Judah has dealt treacherously. When he refers to Judah, he's speaking to that tribe of David, that tribe of Jesus. And when he speaks of, of the treachery in Israel and Jerusalem, it's a broader scale. The nation of Israel has, has dealt treacherously with him. Let's continue. Here's the sin. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. And that institution is marriage. The holy institution which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. See, the nation of Israel, when they came out of captivity, you know, they should have been uh, of the understanding that foreign influence on this nation would diminish their holiness, would diminish their relationship with God. They should have learned that in their captivity. That's one of the things God was trying to teach them. But when they came out of the captivity and they were restored to their land and they got back to normal, they began to get lax, they began to get lazy. And rather than marrying within the Jewish faith, which is what God wanted them to do at the time. And it wasn't anything racial. It had nothing to do with not marrying somebody of another race. It was about somebody of another spiritual bent, somebody who was not bent toward God, somebody who was not involved in the things of the Lord. God did not want to make impure the faith and belief of his people. So he endured them not to marry outside of their faith. But nonetheless, the people, as they got back and they began to see the, the people on the other side, they thought, oh, man, and they started to marry them. And because of that, their faith in God began to be diminished and even polluted and defiled by those marriages. In a sense, they were committing not just physical adultery, but spiritual adultery against Almighty God. So they began to marry uh, these, and this is directed at the men primarily, they began to marry women of another God. They began to marry outside of the faith. You know, as a Christian minister, one of the things I do when people come to me and ask me to marry them, I make sure that both, to the best of my ability, that both know Jesus as their Savior. Because Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does a believer have with an unbeliever? I will not marry a couple where one is a believer and one is an unbeliever. I won't do that. Because God says not to do that. We are to marry people of like precious faith so we can keep our faith strong. We're going to see how this plays out as we get into it. But this is, the, this is a, a symptom, by the way. They had broken covenant with God. They had broken union with God. And this was being demonstrated by the fact that they were marrying people of a foreign God, of a false God. And so that is the sin that they were committing. Now, here are the consequences. Look at verse 12. It says, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this, being awake and aware. That's an interesting phrase in the Hebrew. Quite literally translated, it could read, the man who does this, both the teacher and the student. The teacher is the one who is awake, who knows better. But the student is becoming aware of what's going on. And he says, you know, this was going on at all levels. The, those who, who should have known better were doing it, and those who were trying to learn were doing it. He said, may they be cut off, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts? In other words, they were, they were trying to have it both ways. 
They were, they were following after the women of other gods. They were marrying them in, in, in direct defiance to God's word. And yet they were still trying to offer offerings unto God to kind of make God happy. You know, we do that all the time. We, we go out and live as we please, but every once in a while, a pang of guilt will overcome us and we'll come to church that Sunday and we'll drop a bit of money in the offering plate and that way God's happy with us and we can move on. I'm going to tell you, that's not how it works, folks. God isn't interested in little gestures and little band-aids. God wants all of you and all of me. And so those are the, the sins that they were committing and the consequences of that sin. So that's the first evidence. The first evidence of their unfaithfulness were these illegal marriages. You say, how were they illegal? They were against God's law. And as a matter of fact, marrying somebody who is not a believer for a believer today is also, in God's eyes, an illegal marriage. Now let's look at the second evidence of unfaithfulness. The second evidence. Now, it's interesting in this passage the Hebrew is written in what is called a chiasm, a chiasm, which a chiasm literally means an intersection or an X. In the first passage we looked at, the first evidence we looked at, God started with the sin and then moved to the consequences. But in this passage, he's going to start with the consequences and take it to the, to the sin that originated them. So it's a sort of a way of really emphasizing something. And so that's how it's laid out. It's just an interesting way God has laid it out because he wanted to communicate it in a certain way. So the second evidence of unfaithfulness are these immoral divorces. Because see, in order for the, for the men of Israel to marry these foreign women, they had to annul or divorce themselves from the women that they were already married to. Look what he says in verse 13. He starts with the consequences first. He says, and this is the second thing you do. That's how we know this is a second evidence. He says, you cover the altar of the Lord with your tears, with weeping and crying. You know, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm offering my offering. I'm laying it down. And people are, they know they're guilt ridden. They know they're struggling. And so they, in order to try to patch things up with God, they come in and bring their offerings and give the show of emotion to God. And uh, I tell you, I've seen it a lot in my time in ministry. People who come and have, a, have an emotional response to God, oh my goodness, they come down the aisle, they fall at the altar, they weep and cry and wail, and then the very next day, nothing has changed. Nothing is any different. And God was saying this same thing. You know, you bring your offerings, he said that in the last passage, you try to patch things up. You come with your tears and your weeping and crying, and it says, so he does not regard the offering anymore. He knows it's a sham. He knows it's just a, a patchwork on your side. You're not going to change. You're not making anything different. You're just trying to pat God on the head and make him happy. Well, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't work that way. God is not stupid. God is not mocked. He's not going to look and say, okay, you go do your thing. No, no. God doesn't want part of us. God doesn't want to be visited by us. God wants all of us. And so when they came and they did these crocodile tears in verse 13, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. It was all a show. It was a sham. And maybe they were convicted in a sense by their guilt, but they went to the Lord to try to placate him so they can continue living in sin. So look what God says, the consequences. He does not regard their offering anymore, nor does he receive it with goodwill from your hands. God's not interested in that kind of sham offering. God's not interested in a part-time believer. God wants all or nothing. 
And so he is not accepting the consequences of it are those things that we try to do to, to touch base or to notch a notch in our gun or to pat God on the head and patch things up. Listen, God's not fooled. He's not going to accept that. So you might think you've done something, but you really haven't. We need to be careful that we walk accordingly. So let's look at the sin. We're moving again now from the consequences to the sin. And so here's the, here's the response from the children of Israel. Yet you say, for what reason? Why don't you accept our offerings? Why don't you take this? And he's going to emphasize again the sin because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth whom you have dealt with treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. In other words, they were, they were divorcing these young ladies, these poor young ladies who had committed their lives to them. And he goes on to say, but did he not make them one? having a remnant of the Spirit, or rather, yeah, having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He is seeking godly offspring, and therefore take heed to your spirit. Why does God bring us together? Why does God make us one? Because God wants us to have children who will also reverence and revere God. You know, if you're a believer, and you marry somebody who is an unbeliever, you're going to have a real hard time raising your children in the church because one of the parents of those children is not going to be an example of godly faith. They are not going to encourage faithfulness to God. And so that's the problem you run into when you marry somebody who is not a believer and you are a believer. And this is what was going on. Not only that, but they, they threw away what they had. They divorced. That's why these were immoral divorces. They threw away the wives that they had, godly wives, who would help ensure godly children, and they chased after these women of foreign gods. And the whole idea is to create generations of godly people. The whole idea of the nation of Israel was to be a godly nation who would produce the written Word of God, the Bible, and the living Word of God, Jesus, who was a Jew and a descendant from David. The whole idea was to produce a godly nation. But if people in that godly nation are chasing after other people of other faiths and other belief systems and they begin to marry them, you're not going to have that. It's going to fall apart. Just like we talked about the Levitical priesthood last week. The descendants of Levi began to drop the ball. And because they dropped the ball, the priesthood was minimized and it was brought to naught. And so God talks about the sin. He says in verse 16, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. He hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. You know, those of you who are watching and listening who've been through divorce, you can empathize with what we're talking about here. Because you know divorce, whatever the circumstances, is hard, it's harsh, it's difficult, it's painful. And, and you know, this is why God hates it, because God has given a metaphor of marriage to demonstrate our relationship with Him. And one of the things that breaks God's heart is when we break our fellowship with Him. And when He sees His children break marriage relationships with Him, it breaks His heart. Not only that, but it's tough on a married couple and their family. You know, divorce is a difficult thing. Divorce is tough. You know, if you've been through it, you know, you can amen what I'm saying. No matter what the circumstances, it was difficult. It was a struggle. Not only did it affect your relationship with your spouse, but it affected, if you had children, it affected them. It also affected your family and your friendships. Divorce is very damaging. That's what he means when he says, for it covers one's garment with violence. That word violence in the Hebrew can literally mean damage or destruction. 
And so, yes, again, if you've been through divorce, listen, God loves you and, and, and all those things. But understand this. God hates divorce. And you and you know why? Because you've been through it. And in this circumstance, it even had a greater spiritual import because God's people were stepping away from God's plan and following after women of other gods. And they were profaning not only their national heritage, but most importantly, their spiritual heritage with Almighty God. And so God said, your faithfulness to me is gauged by your faithfulness to one another in my spirit. And you could tell the people were becoming unfaithful to God because they were ignoring his covenant, that covenant of marriage that he set all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's not just for Israel, it's for all humanity. But in Israel, Israel Jews and Israelis were told not to intermarry because intermarriage is not a racial thing. It's not a racial thing. As a matter of fact, King Solomon's first wife was a woman from Africa. She was a black woman. So it's not a racial thing. It was a spiritual thing, a holiness thing, a purity thing spiritually. God wanted to keep the faith intact of the nation of Israel. And when they started following after those who worshiped other gods, false gods, demonic gods, they were harming and hindering their faithfulness with God and insulting him in that way. And in a real sense, spiritually speaking, as well as physically, committing adultery. This was, a, this was a symptom of their unfaithfulness to God. Their unfaithfulness to their wives was a symptom of their unfaithfulness to Almighty God. And this was a problem. And you know what? Sometimes we do the same thing. Oh, we say we love the Lord and oh, we love the Bible. And we run to the Lord and we run to the Bible when things aren't going well. I bet you there have been a lot of uh, decisions made during this COVID virus, during this uh, upheaval in our culture, Oh, I bet a lot of people are right now getting close to God, but as soon as things calm down, I wonder how long that'll last. I remember uh, in 2001, 9-11, when the uh, buildings were attacked and the, and the uh, Pentagon was attacked. I remember that first Sunday after that Tuesday when that happened, our church was full. I mean, there wasn't an empty seat in the place and people were weeping and people were calling out to God. But I also witnessed that a few months after that, Seats became empty. People got back on their normal lives and everything was back to normal. God forbid that happen again through this. And so they were unfaithful to God. They were losing their faithfulness. And so here's the counsel. Let me leave you with this final point as we finish up. The counsel amidst the unfaithfulness. What counsel has God have amidst their unfaithfulness? Again, here is yet another time where God reaches out his hand of love, his hand of grace. He longs to draw his people back to him. You know, God would be perfectly justified if he decided to just clap his hands and make the children of Israel disappear. He, 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 he didn't have to be faithful and patient with them. He could have just said, I'm through with you people. But he didn't because God is moved by love. And God is faithful. So he gives this counsel in the midst of this unfaithfulness. He tells them, first of all, to guard their spirit. Look at verse 16, the last part of the passage. He says, therefore, take heed to your spirit. In other words, look at what you're doing. Think about what you're involved in. Take heed to your spiritual life, your walk with God. You know how often we get too busy to pray. We get too busy to read God's word. And we begin to uh, accept the things of the culture. 
You know, more people are enamored with opinions on Facebook than they are the truth of God's Word. And we begin to slip away. God says you need to stop and you need to take personal inventory, spiritual inventory of your heart, of your mind, and where you are. And that's what I'm hoping through these studies in Malachi, God causes us to do. We need to sit down and listen. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to quit telling ourselves, well, I'm okay. Other people are just as bad, if not worse. So I'm no, no, no. It doesn't work that way. You're not going to be judged by the goodness or badness of somebody else. You and I are going to stand before God and give an account for ourselves and how we responded and reacted to his word. So he says, first of all, you had better guard your heart. Secondly, he says you need to guard your relationship first with God. Notice he says, he says, therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Stop these immoral divorces. Stop the unfaithfulness to God. Come back to me. Stay with those people of faith and build your faith and build their faith. He says you need to be faithful to God again. Start with your relationship with him because everything that happens in your life, good or bad, is impacted and you react or respond due in part to your relationship with God, if not in whole. He says, do not deal treacherously. Take, guard your relationship with God. Guard your relationship with your family. See, we said last week the most powerful individual on the face of the earth is the godly father. And yes, the godly mother. We need to make sure that we are raising godly children who will go on and continue to influence the world after we're gone. You know, often I've been at West Concord now for nearly 30 years, and I often wonder what West Concord will look like if Jesus tarries. What will West Concord look like when me and the leaders that are here and the deacons that are here pass away? What, what's West Concord going to look like in 50 years? What are we leaving our children with to do? What are, we, what are we giving them and what are we sharing with them? Will we still have a strong generational church? Or will this become an insurance office or a restaurant one day? God forbid. So that's the counsel amidst unfaithfulness. So God shared them with them several evidences, especially two of their unfaithfulness to him. Ultimately, as unfaithfulness to him, they were committing adultery and immorality against him. And the marriage issue was merely a symptom. Let me share with you five ways to show faithfulness to the Lord. Now, there are probably many others, but this sort of boils it down. Five ways to show faithfulness to the Lord. First, be unwavering in your belief in him. Be unwavering. If you begin to waver in your faith, go back to the Word of God. Go back to the Bible. Seek answers from God, not from Facebook, not from the media. These things are polluted and corrupted. Seek the face of God through His Word. Don't be wavering in your unbelief. Secondly, be separate, or rather, separate yourselves from the world's thought patterns and practices. We are not, we're in the world, yes but we're not to be of the world. The Bible says we are to separate ourselves from the world's thought patterns. We're not to acquire the world's philosophies, the world's opinions. We are to be focused on Almighty God, and we are not to live like the world does. We don't make choices of entertainment and choices of, of different things just because the world says it's okay. You know, many people go in and they buy a book because Oprah says it's good. Or they go into a place and get a video or something because it's on the popular list. You know, when we follow popularity, we're in trouble. I read a, a, a quote recently, and I can't remember where it came from, but it said, more prophets have been destroyed by popularity than they have by persecution. 
More prophets, more voices of godly strength have been silenced because they cared more ultimately about popularity than they did about the things of God. So be unwavering in your belief. Separate yourself from the world's thought patterns and practices. Choose to do what is right all the time. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's inconvenient, even though the world isn't going that way, you and I need to choose what is right no matter what's going on. Fourthly, obey God, what God said in His Word. It's not rocket science. Obey what God says in His Word. Do what God tells us to do. And finally, here, boy, if we, abide, if we abided by this, we'd solve a lot of our problems right now. Love your neighbors in obedience to God. You know, if you love your neighbors, you're not going to tear down their storefronts. You know, if you love your neighbors, you're not going to attack them on the streets. If you love your neighbors, you're not going to insult them on Facebook. If you love your neighbors, you're going to treat your neighbors with dignity and godly kindness. That's how we demonstrate our faithfulness to God. There are many other ways, but these are some specific ways. So let me leave you with this reminder. And I want to make sure you're paying attention. This is a sobering reminder. Please, please remember, if you get nothing else from this sermon this morning, please, please remember, you and I will be judged by God for our faithfulness. Don't say, well, so-and-so lived this way, or this person lived that way, and I wasn't as bad as them. They did a lot more worse things. No, no, God, God isn't interested in that. God will deal with him in their context. You and I one day will stand before God and give an account for what we did, for our reactions, our responses, our choices. We will be judged by God for our faithfulness to Him. That, we're not going to be judged by God for our political opinions. We're not going to be judged by God for who we vote for or how we vote or this thing or that. We're going to be judged by God based on our faithfulness to Him, His mission, and His truth, His Word. You and I, listen, listen to me very carefully. Even if you're an unbeliever, you will stand before God's judgment. You and I, believers, even though we're saved by grace through faith, yay, we're going to heaven, we're excited about that. But the Bible talks about in heaven with the saints, something called the judgment seat of Christ. Where in a real sense, God is going to play your life back. And he's going to look at you and see your faithfulness and lack thereof. And the Bible says in heaven, there will be a brief time of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's going to be a time of sorrow, sadness, and regret. You and I will, listen, you and I will stand before God to be judged. Now, for believers, that judgment doesn't determine heaven or hell. That's determined when you receive Christ. But nonetheless, that will determine several other things that we don't have time to get into. But you and I will stand before God and be judged. You know, growing up, when I did something wrong, I had to stand before my mother and father. I knew they were going to throw me out of the family. At least they probably wanted to at the time, but they didn't. But nonetheless, I didn't like it anyway. I didn't look forward to it. I hated when my dad stood and stared at me and I knew I was wrong. I knew he loved me and I knew I wasn't going to get thrown out. But at that point, I wish I could, could have been because I was so bothered. Again, you and I, I can't say it enough, are going to stand before God and give an account. And what are we going to be judged by? How many times we went to church? How, how many times we put money in the plate? I wasn't as bad as this guy. I wasn't as bad as that lady. No, no. By our faithfulness to him. God's not going to bring anybody else into the, into the mix. It's going to be you and him. It's going to be me and him. 
And I don't know about you, but that keeps me nervous. That keeps me reverential of the things of God. I make mistakes. I fail. Understand we all are. We're human. But that's not even an excuse. You can't say, well, God, after all, I'm human. He knows that. And he's still going to judge us by our faithfulness. So make sure you understand that. The children of Israel, they had been given a wonderful gift. Matter of fact, if you read the Old Testament, they've been given series and series of gifts. They were forgiven by God, restored by God over and over and over again. And even now they were taken out of captivity, returned home. God helped them rebuild their society. And they still started to turn their backs on him. Oh my goodness, we can't do that. When we come out of this coronavirus, and I believe we will, we had better be stronger, sharper, and more tuned to the, to the things of God than ever before. I believe this, this, this situation we're going through is, a, is God's way of winnowing out the church. You know, there might be some people who aren't, aren't going to hang with God because the church or a believer does something that they don't like and they don't agree. You know, be that as it may, God is looking for His people to stay strong. And you can do it, and I can do it through the Spirit of God. But let's not be like the nation of Israel. Let's not allow God to judge us for our lack of faithfulness. Let's let Him reward us for our faithfulness. If you're, if you're listening and watching and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the fact that God left the glories and splendors of heaven was a wonderful example of His faithfulness. He left heaven so that He might come because of His love for you. And you and I didn't deserve that love because we're sinners, we're lost. But he loved us and came anyway, and Jesus died and took the blame for all of our sin, past, present, and future. He was buried and rose again from the dead, and the Bible says all we need to do is come to him and confess our sin, admit our sin, and cast our faith and confidence in him as our Savior, and God will save us, God will then come and indwell us, and God will walk with us. And then it's up to us to walk with him. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I beg you to do so as you, as you finish this morning. If you do know Christ, are you being faithful? Listen, I'm not the judge of whether you're faithful or not. The deacons and the other pastors of this church aren't. We're going to stand before God too. You and I will stand before God to demonstrate whether we have committed spiritual adultery against Him or whether we've been faithful to Him. I pray in Jesus' name at the end of this whole virus, that he finds West Concord Baptist Church and other churches represented by the watchers and listeners of this video strong, on fire, and faithful to him. Let's make that our goal. Let's be faithful people to God. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.